Hey there, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so thankful that you're with us again, and I'm grateful for everybody who is subscribed and following. And, uh, you know, wherever you're listening to this podcast from, whether it's while you're on the road or while you're at home, or even if you're able to watch it or rather listen to it while you're at work, I am very grateful for your continued support. Thank you so much. We're in the middle of an excellent conversation about a topic that can be a little bit touchy because sometimes it hits close to home, and that's the idea of murmuring. Now, when we look at the children of Israel as they were wandering in the desert, we see some classic examples of people who were murmuring for a lot of reasons that really didn't, you know, have the, the it just wasn't justifiable whenever you think about it in the end. But we can be like them too. And it's really easy to focus on how bad they were when really we should be looking introspectively about how we can do the same thing and and we need to repent whenever we murmur this way. So let's jump right back into the conversation with Brother Justin Owen on murmuring. If I could beg the patience of everyone for just one more spiritual giant. uh, I'm loving this conversation, by the way. Um, (laughs) Me too. I've, I've heard it and I have felt it and I have thought it. My congregation's too small. You know, oh, the, yeah. the, the mega church down the road that has 10,000 members and they're so polished, like they're, the way that their pastor says this or the way that their, their groups are organized, the, all of the activities that they do. And my congregation, like, what, how can we compete? You know, our congregation's too small. That's a, a spiritual giant. I'd love to hear your thoughts, maybe specifically on that. Um, I know it's not in, your, in, in the notes, but uh, sure. how do we work with this giant to overcome it? Well, in our American philosophy, we have kind of set aside anything having to do with Bible-related things when we think about this competition. But right. really, numbers don't mean success, first of all. And that's something that mm-hmm. we let get into our heads because we think about the church like a business sometimes, and it, it's not. It's not a business. Yeah. Our goal is not to build our membership so we can have a big number on the board. <laughs> our goal is to save the lost and recognizing that not everybody is going to embrace truth. That, that's something that I think is it, it's a thought that is sad, but we have to be okay with recognizing we're not going to attract masses with truth. But here's the thing. We have something that many people don't have. We have truth. Mm -hmm. We have the truth. And people will respond to the truth. uh, And and that might be in small numbers or in in large, depending on your community, depending on what that soil is like. But doing the job of getting the truth out there and letting people respond to it is, is what we've been asked to do. It's, that's that's our purpose, and while we might see it as a giant, and while we might see people going in droves to these areas where they're being entertained and they're being satisfied, and they're you know, well, in there a passage about that. There there will come a time where people ignore truth and uh, you know <laughs> right. only desire to have their their ears itched or uh-huh. What, uh-huh. I don't know the exact passage, but you know where where I'm trying to go for. Yes, sir. So that's my answer on that. I think you you can't be focused on uh, what somebody else is doing around you because what somebody else is doing around you doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is truth and the promotion of truth and 
if people respond to it, then, you know, you've, you've helped win a soul to Christ and to, to his church. And that's the important part. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I think second Timothy three, one through nine may be part of the scripture you were referring to. So for those who are following along, maybe they were wanting a note. I'll throw that out there. And I'll, I'll also mention a scripture you have already said, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, where you ta- you mentioned that God counts us as a fellow worker. You know, he we can be encouraged against spiritual giants and that we're not alone. Our job in that spiritual work is to plant and water, and God provides the increase. And that took me a long time to not take it personal that I, you know, I, I thought I was responsible for the increase. And all I need to do is plant yeah. and water. And like you said, our, our congregation, you don't look at it simply as numbers or uh, like a business, but look at it as a group of people who are doing God's will to plant and water and trust that he will provide the increase. Amen. And I would beg our, I would also beg our, our brethren, uh, you know, as, as you hire an evangelist to come in and work with your area, work with the community there, know that his job uh, is is to do one thing is to preach the message and hopefully he's not doing that by himself hopefully everybody is engaged in that task and uh, there are studies being brought to his doorstep all the time by the members but understand that if they're not converted it's it's not the fault of that preacher (laughs) yeah Uh, if if he's preaching truth it's not the fault of the preacher it's uh, it's that the soil isn't ready or is the, the the heart of that individual is just not willing to do what God asks. Well, it's it's sad that after complaining about so many things, the the focus of their murmuring kind of turns on Moses himself. Can you talk to us about the Israelites and how they complained or murmured against their leaders? Absolutely. Uh, as is common to mankind, I think a lot of times jealousy envy some self-exaltation gets involved with their thinking and there were there were uh, certain people of this group that saw what Moses was uh, you know doing what he was trying to do they didn't like the decisions he was making and they thought to themselves I can do so much better a job how many times has that happened in our own congregations where somebody you know <laughs> they they are trying to lead their, the group and they're doing their best and uh, you've got all these people that said well I would have done things this way with hindsight, maybe the right. leader himself would have done things differently, but he's just doing his best. And how how easy is it for us to complain against our leaders, against the decision makers for the group? You know, we call them we call them armchair quarterbacks in football. <laughs> you know, people who are so so easy to to talk about what people need to do on the field. I guess there's the armchair leader as well, somebody that looks at an elder or those who are the spiritual shepherds of the congregation and, and yeah, like it, it is easy to murmur yeah. against them, even though uh, you don't have the, the pressure and the stress that's put on in the situation. What exactly happened in number 16? Well, in number 16, uh, you, well, we can go ahead and read some of that there. Let me get over to it. Uh, I think you had this situation of envy and jealousy present itself. Number 16, three, is where we'll start. It says, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, 
and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us as soon as Moses heard that, he fell on his face. He knew something bad was coming. <laughs> and uh, Korah and the rebellion that he had tried to initiate uh, was put down, obviously. We're, we're right. not going right. to go into that story any, but uh, the, the earth opened up and swallowed these men that were trying to su supplant Moses and, and get him out of their way. I, there was a lot of chatter about just going back to Egypt. And I think that chatter was from this group that had started to rebel. And part of the situation was they didn't like where they were. They didn't like the situation they were in. And that's, again, it's no different than any of us. We sometimes will be in a congregational setting and leaders are making decisions in certain ways. And we think, we don't like this. We don't like the, the direction things are going. And these elders that, have said that they're going to serve us. They're not doing the, you know, they're not doing us any favors. We're, we're, we feel like we're getting run through the ringer here. And honestly, are elders perfect? Are they going to make every right decision in, in every circumstance that's presented to them? No, they're just human beings, but you know, they were put in the position they were put in for a reason. And I think trusting in God's plan, the wisdom of his plan for scriptural government is, Something that we we don't do very often when we put in a situation where we're uncomfortable, where we don't like the decisions that are being made. We have to be very right. careful though now, in our complaints because we're gonna be just like Cora. Um you I'm gonna quote you in in this study. You say man's design has led to everyone having a say in congregational decisions and and um this is not the purpose of your study, but as often happens on this podcast, I kind of go off in left field or down a tangent. And so I'm going to invite you to join me <laughs> in this and maybe just for a moment, uh, especially to our, our brethren who are listening, uh, who enjoy having a say in congregational decisions. Do you think our mindset in America where we are a people of liberty and democracy and everybody gets a, you know, an equal vote, et cetera, is that drawing us nearer to God and his ways, or is it potentially taking us farther away? <laughs> I would say the latter. I don't think that uh, everybody having a say is part of God's design or his plan. You look at the plan that he set up for all the congregations, and it was to have elders. And you describe our country as one of democracy and one of liberty and everybody having a say. Uh, that's a perception of our nation. And uh, another perception is that we are a, a bunch of rebels. <laughs> you ask people from England who we are. You know, we, we are a people of rebellion. We are a people of independence. Right. And if we don't get our way then we're going to stand up and say, I uh -huh. want my way. And I think because of our success, the prosperity that this nation has had over the many generations that we've been here, uh, it's not made things easy for us with regard to things in the church. Uh, you look at how many elderships exist uh, in the body today, and it, it's difficult to say that mm -hmm. those kind of thinkings have been good for us because we don't have scriptural government in a lot of places around this country. And uh, you can see it in other nations and it seems to be doing fine. It seems to be strong, but we have found ways to use those qualifications in first Timothy three uh, to block 
scriptural leadership instead of finding ways to qualify men. And it's, it's a mindset that I don't think God ever intended for us to have when he says appoint elders in every, when Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in every city, uh, he wasn't mm-hmm. just giving a suggestion. That was part of his plan. And we need to do our best to try to, to fill in that same uh, goal that was given to Titus to, to make that part of our plan to, to know going forward. Right. Appointing of elders right. is something we have to do. It's something that we, we don't have a choice in. And when you think, start thinking that way, uh, some of the limitations that are put in uh, by our brethren with regards to the way that they view First Timothy 3 and Titus 2, it's like we, we've painted additional extremes for people to have to overcome in order to, to get where they need to be. At. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pick at anybody or pick at any specific mindset or opinion, but I will just give one example to, okay. to help people understand where I'm coming from. Uh, there's the the idea that a person is to be uh, the husband of one wife, and uh, many times I've talked to people about you know one means one, one means one, and I I understand the philosophy behind it uh, and what people are trying to say, uh, but we found ways to disqualify men that would otherwise qualify uh, because their wife died when they were in their twenties right. and they've married again. And they've lived faithfully with that woman for, you know, 30 or 40 years. And because they have more than one, well, they don't qualify. And I don't, I don't think that's what's being said there. And maybe uh, one day we'll get to discuss eldership and the qualifications thereof uh, sure. in a different discussion. But we, we need to stop uh, thinking of what extra ways to disqualify our brethren and start thinking of, you know, these are the qualifications and people obviously have to meet these qualifications. They're there for a reason. Uh, but think of it uh, as if you're, you, you have a command, you are to appoint elders at every congregation. And uh, if that's your, your primary and recognizing the, the qualifications that are given there have to be fulfilled, but your job isn't to find ways to exclude people <laughs> It's to find ways to get men qualified under these, uh, under these stipulations. Right. And I think that, that change of perspective, uh, it, it helps us a little bit to be able to go more towards what God uh, has designed for, uh, his congregations of his church. That's right. Now I think about, um, 1 Timothy 5, 17, it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And so there is a, oh, a mindset of those who are leading should, there should be a level of respect for them. Not to say that we are, we want to ordain kings because they are servants and they're intended to serve and to shepherd the flock. But uh, they are worthy of honor and not of grumbling. So maybe here's our way back out of the of the <laughs> meandering path that we've gone down on on the American democracy versus the eldership and the submission that a congregation should have. But uh, it seems like if we grumble against our elders or the spiritual shepherds who are over congregation, we're falling into the same trap that the Israelites fell into when they were murmuring against Moses. Is that right? 
I think so, because when elders are appointed, you know, you're not appointing men who are interested in serving themselves. Hopefully you're appointing men that are God-fearing, men that are, are thinking, uh, thinking men, men that consider the scriptures before they take a course of action. And that was, that was Moses. I mean, Moses, he was not perfect. He didn't do everything right. We, in fact, we know why he was kept out of the promised land. Uh, and it was a bad decision. It was something that he hadn't thought through. But that said, anything that they complained about <laughs> had nothing to do with that mistake that he made. It, it, it had to do with decisions that he had already consulted God on, the things that he knew he was supposed to do. He was leading them the right way. They were just complaining. And I think when you when you don't have the ability that Moses had to be in communication with God, uh, but you have something that the Bible calls better, you know, his word as uh, a guiding light unto us. That passage uh, that talks about God knowing Moses face to face and the Deuteronomy there, that, that wording that's used there is the same wording that's used when referring to the scriptures in First Corinthians 13. Uh, when Paul is describing to them that these spiritual gifts that the Corinthians had, that they would go away when the perfect had come, when God's word was complete, we would know, uh, we would know what God had prophesied unto us, just like right. you know me, Paul, right. face to face. So that that concept, I think that we we have everything we need to lead the people, uh, should give us a lot of confidence that if our our elders are doing their very best to, to lead us, and they're leading us by the word in, in the best way that they know how, you you have no reason to yeah. complain. You've you've deferred to this person. They've met the qualifications. You've, uh, you know, you've gone to this congregation, maybe even after these men were appointed, but you, you've submitted yourself to them by saying, I'm, I'm going to be a part of this congregation. So let them lead. Let them do what they're trying to do and don't be an obstacle for them because life's hard enough uh, as a leader uh, you've got the weight of the decisions of a congregation on you and uh, having that responsibility is not easy by itself but having somebody complain every step of the way right. it, it doesn't make it any easier so be a good brother <laughs> well let me summarize real quick uh, we have five points that the the children of Israel they murmured about and we've talked about four of them they, they murmured concerning the way, uh, they murmured concerning food, they murmured concerning giants, they murmured concerning their leadership, and then finally, uh, let's talk about this fifth one, how they just murmured repeatedly about the same things over and over again. Yeah, it's it's a fifth point. It's not an additional murmuring. It's more a, a uh, an observation, a fifth observation that they didn't learn. They never learned from their mistakes. Right. And th this is important, I think, for us to recognize, too, because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to, you know, make some of the same mistakes that the Israelites made. And I think it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, it's not good to sin. Uh, I'm not going to say that, but we, we do stumble. And the the point is you, you re recognize what you've done. You stand up, you brush yourself off, and you get back on the narrow road. So making mistakes is part of part of what this life is. But when you mm -hmm. make a mistake, learn from it. And that's what these people refuse to do. 
Uh, Numbers the 21st chapter is where we come to this section. You know, they've already complained about okay. all of these other things. And when we get to Numbers 21, uh, it says they journeyed from Mount Hor in verse 4. Uh, by the way, the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Now, keep in mind, God has already punished them because of their complaining about the manna. He has already, he's already stricken them right, for that. Right. But it says in verse 5, the people spoke against God and against Moses, again, complaining about their leaders, <laughs> and, and against God. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Wow. There's no food, there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Oh, man. I, to me, the witnesses who already saw what happened at the first complaining should have been enough that you would think that there would be somebody at least to remind them, guys, you can't say those things. We, we already went through this. God sent fire from this guy, I think, the first time. But this time, God sent snakes. And uh, if any of you know me, you know I hate snakes. That's got to be one of the worst punishments <laughs> I think that they could suffer. But oh, they, they didn't learn their lesson. They continued to complain about the same things, about the way they were being led, about there being no, no bread. That all that was available to them was this stupid, miraculous food that God provided them with every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So learn from the mistakes. Stop complaining. First uh, Timothy 6, 8 teaches us this idea that we just need to learn to be content. We have food, like we have clothing, so just be happy with that. Yeah, uh, I know people who will complain it's too hot in the summer, it's too cold in the winter, it's too stormy in the spring, it's too windy <laughs> in the fall. And there are people out there that just, uh, they, they find things, they find problems that's worth complaining about, so that when somebody gives them the air and the opportunity, they're going to do it, they're going to complain. Is there's it's sad that uh, I feel like sometimes I bond over yeah. you know, a relationship is formed maybe at the doctor's office based on the mutual complaining of how slow the service oh, is. Oh yeah. Or I think you know, so it's like we use it as a tool to to get somebody who knows what we're going through, let's complain about it and then you know we're able to <laughs> draw near together. Misery loves company. <laughs> we commiserate. We we really there do. You go. We 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 see the the burden of doctor's office waiter of traffic or something like that. Uh, you know, we, we can we can say, oh, it's so hot out here. Yeah, I, how many times have I done that this summer? I, I know I have, <laughs> but honestly, yeah. without the seasons the way that they are, our earth would our earth wouldn't right. function the way that right. it does. Right. So. At the end of the day, I am grateful and happy that we have summers. Don't tell anybody I ever said that. <laughs> but if we just accept life, no matter what it is, and just do our best to be content with whatever situation you have, I think you're going to be more pleasing to God than if you just find ways to complain about the gifts that he gives us. Because God's not a giver of bad. Right. James, what is it, James chapter 2, tells us that every good gift comes from, this is James 1, every good gift. Uh, comes from above mm -hmm. that he doesn't he doesn't give bad and good he he always gives good that's what he does so whatever it is and we can take this as far as our persecutions and our trials whatever comes into our life we can know that God has seen fit for us to go through it he, he's allowed it to happen uh, or maybe he's brought it to our table to help teach us some lessons whatever the situation if we complain about it 
what are we doing? In essence, we we are complaining to God for the care that He shows for us. That is a a shouldn't do that. Yeah, that's a terrifying point. That whenever you are not content, you are ultimately complaining against a God who has given you good things. And uh, I don't want to be on that side of the relationship. Maybe uh, me neither. Maybe you could comment on this specific way of struggling with contentedness. Um, people who never seem to find it or are constantly murmuring, constantly complaining, they're known as that. Mm-hmm. What type of a, of a soul winner is this person who, whenever they interact with non-Christians, if all they ever do is complaining, where's that going to lead them? Well, let me answer your question with another question. What type of person uh, of the world is going to be attracted to Christianity if they see how miserable is making you every day? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how's a person ever to see uh, hope in their life and the fulfillment that Christ brings if every word out of your mouth is a complaint? You're mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. being a light to the world. You're you're just uh, adding to the darkness, if you will. Complaining just can't be a way of life for us. We have to do our best to minimize and to limit the complaints that come out of our mouth. And I think when we have that as a goal in our life, uh, you know, it is a struggle because there are things that we don't like. And sometimes we, we feel the need to share that with others. We love to commiserate with one another and we love the attention that that brings. But really, what are we getting out of it? Yeah. What, 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 what gain is there? <laughs> It doesn't help us at all. So, Well, brother, we are at the end of our time together. Uh, maybe I'd like for you to consider sharing a scripture that will challenge us to, you know, in light of all of these murmurings and all of these complainings, uh, what would be a good scripture for me to just kind of internalize for whatever comes my way? And then the second question is really just, is there anything that we've missed that you would like to share before we uh, end our time together? Sure. Uh, One scripture, one passage, I think that you can memorize, you can commit to memories. Excuse me. It's a very short uh, passage. First Timothy chapter six, verse six. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. And Mm. If you know that you struggle with murmuring, if you know this is a problem you like, you like to complain, then this is something that you should post like on your mirror in your bathroom. So you brush your teeth every morning, every night. You're going to see that and remind yourself, oh, yeah, I, I need to do a good job of making sure I limit my complaints today. One extra thing that I might add to in... And memorizing the scripture, you know, you're internalizing, like you said, something that is a needful reminder that we need to be a content people. But one thing that helps if you have bad habits of complaining is start praying more often just with your thanksgiving. And I don't know how often uh, you guys okay. do that, but uh, this was something that I I thought that it would be a good application to make when I was growing up, we had a a group of young guys and I'll be honest. We, we enjoyed negativity. We, we thrived on complaining and negativity and the preacher that came in to work with us, uh, his name is Rod Watson. He, he helped us with this by every time we came together for our our midweek activities. uh, He would say, 
we're going to go around the room and each person is going to say something that they're thankful for. And that, that left an impression with me because it got me to thinking why, you know, why we were doing that. I didn't know that we had a problem with, yeah. with complaining and negativity, but oh man, we did. And it was more and more evident <laughs> as we kind of came right. out of it and, and saw, oh man, we, we really do bellyache about a lot, but we have so much to be grateful and thankful for. If we're making a practice of thanking God for the good that he's brought us in our life, and if we're making a practice of just sitting and thinking of all the good that, that we have, if you're feeling mopey or complaining, if you just stop for a minute and, and think yeah. about the blessings that God has given, even maybe in the things that you're complaining about, you can put a lot of your complaints to rest. Because really, God, he is a giver of good, and the good is always abundant. And when we stop and make an effort to recognize that, it really helps. It helps with our attitude and, and helps with this idea that First Timothy 6, 6 teaches that godliness with contentment is great gain. So you can't have one without the other. You've got to live a right life, uh, and you've got to have true contentment in life. But with both of those things, you found a treasure that this world doesn't know. And that great gain is something that I, I want for all of uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we, we all uh -huh. have a goal of heaven, but even in this life, there is so much gain that we can have if we just practice those two characteristics. So. Yeah, that's about all I, uh, all, all the thoughts that I have on that. So, I am excited to implement what you've just talked about in our family worship at home. Uh, I'm excited to ask my kids, my wife, myself, what is something that you're thankful for that we can thank God about, and let our prayers be only focused on Thanksgiving. Not every time, but at least sometimes to help practice this discipline of contentment in a world of murmuring and complaining. So that was great. I'm really looking forward to putting that in our family. Brother, thank you so much for coming on. I'm grateful for this conversation. I know uh, a week or two ago when we talked about doing it, that that you thought it, you weren't going to do well, but I just want to tell you from the perspective of the host, you've done wonderful. And I'm excited <laughs> to share these with people so they can hear these messages, mostly because they'll hear the scripture and learn specifically about this discipline of being content and trying to avoid murmuring. Well, thank you. And uh, again, thank you for the invitation. I'm, uh, I'm humbled every time I'm asked to do something like this because I think, ah, I can't do that. I get intimidated giant. by it. it. It is, but here I am. I'm, I'm facing them down. So there you go. You're the, I'll, you're I'll the example. Practice right what right I preach. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for your work on this too. I know this is an important, uh, uh, an important thing that you're doing and getting these podcasts out to people. And I appreciate you and your efforts and the work that you do for the church. It's greatly appreciated. I'd like to extend a big thanks to Brother Justin for coming on the program with me. We met via Zencaster. He was in his studio and I was in mine, or rather our offices. I call it a studio just to make it sound fancy. Anyway, thankful for Justin. Brother, you did a great job and I'm grateful for it. And I look forward to the future when we can work together as well. There's a lot of great things going on. You can get on social media and see preachers around the world who are sharing the gospel, and it's such an exciting time, and you can be a part of that too. If you don't know how to start a Bible study, or you're looking for ways to share the gospel with people that maybe you don't have the time or the opportunity at work or at school, a great thing you can do is share this podcast. 
you can share it in a text message or on your social media, however you interact with people. But sometimes there's a really great conversation that we have that's really helpful for a friend. I've had some people in the past who tell me just that, that uh, they've been at work and something's come up and they'll say, oh, you know what? I was listening to a podcast the other day that talked about this, and I'd love to share it with you. It's such an easy and non-threatening way to share the gospel. And because of this approach, where it's a conversation between people, uh, I find that it is very helpful whenever people who aren't Christians or people of faith uh, to, to listen to a Christian message all the way through from start to finish. So I want to invite you to do that. You can go to the website, and there's workbooks, there's Bible correspondence courses, free online Bible studies, and these podcasts, all of them, and videos as well that you can share with people, your family, your friends, and it's all absolutely free to download and use digitally. So take advantage of that. And while you're at it, if you haven't done it yet, please subscribe to the podcast. You can like the podcast on the different social medias that are available for it. And anyway, I'd really love your support. And the more people that follow and like and subscribe, the more likely somebody who searches for a Bible podcast or a Christian podcast, the higher this one's going to get on the charts, and it's going to be easier for others to find it. So will you take a moment and do that for me? And I appreciate it. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's